Okay, got it. Ready? <clears throat> You're listening to Paul Elmore. Paul Elmore. <laughs> Shh. One of the things I'm trying to learn, and I haven't figured it out yet, this is my sixth summer having an opportunity to speak um, at the Refuge series during the summer. And one of the things that I haven't quite figured out yet, but I think I'm getting it dialed in, is whatever I decide to speak on gets thrown in my face about three months before I actually come and actually start talking. So I did a series on failure, so went through a whole season of wrestling with my own failures. We got some shame, we got some self-esteem. Okay, these are all past stuff. This time we're talking about stuck. Great topic. It's just like I'm writing my own prescription to say, how am I going to just curse myself for the next three months as I'm getting ready for this? And by the way, um, this might be an interesting series because about five, six weeks ago, I have a recurring back thing which decides to flare up every once in a while and it pretty much just knocked me on my butt. I am doing much better that I'm actually upright and able to talk to you, you know, from, from this eye level instead of sitting in a chair or rolling around in a wheelchair. So, stuck, I understand it very well because I spent a week and a half literally truly stuck, flat, horizontal, unable to move. And it's like, are you kidding me? So I tried to use my time as best as I could and started writing some of the curriculum while I'm on really good pain meds. So what shows up tonight? <laughs> I'm going to be just as open to it as you are. So we're going to see what happens, what shows up, because it's going to be an interesting time. Just a little bit of information real quick. Um, I happen to record these things because um, people would like to have this information at other times. And so it's actually put on a podcast. If you want to find these episodes, I get them edited and put up online about two or three days after. So Wednesday, Thursday, somewhere in there. And you should be able to find it if you do a search for Paul Elmore on iTunes or if you actually just go to paulelmore.com. There'll be postings on there where you can listen to it and um, get access to it if you want to hear something again, if you missed something when you were taking notes. So this is available or if you want to listen to it later on and, and, and kind of come back to some of this information. Um, wow, there's a lot of people here. This is exciting. So either there's nothing better to do on Monday night or there might be something about this series you're hoping to um, kind, of, kind of walk away from. There's three causes of people getting stuck, but before we get to the causes, I'm curious if you can put words to, what does it feel like to be stuck? What does it feel like when you are going, I can't get anywhere? What's that tape that starts playing in your head? What's the script that starts kind of kicking in? Anyone? Paralyzed. Failure. Can you personalize it? I'm a failure. Yeah, absolutely. Life sucks. <laughs> Life sucks, yes. Some of these could be bumper stickers, by the way. I'm broken. There's a very good one. What else? Depression. Depression, yep. Whether it's just general depression or you want to put some sort of clinical criteria on it. But yeah, just being depressed. What else? This is what I deserve. This is what I deserve. Man, we got people nodding their head on that one. It's just a lack of self-control. If I was just better, then I wouldn't be stuck anymore. Why does this always happen? Why does this always happen? 
to me. Again, to personalize it. Unworthy and unforgiven. Unworthy and unforgiven. Wow. Awful lot of descriptors for one big word. Isn't that amazing? Stuck. The reason I actually chose this series is because this is probably one of the most common themes I hear sitting in my office. As people come in and go, I just feel like I can't get anywhere. I feel like I've tried. You're my second, third, fourth, ninth therapist. You are, I've tried everything. Whatever I can, I just don't feel like I can actually change. And so we're built for change. We don't figure out how to do it then we do. We end up kind of getting paralyzed, getting stuck, blaming ourselves, blaming others. And so why don't we spend seven weeks or so and let's kind of dissect this and figure out what we can do. Sound okay? Can we do that journey together? Fantastic. Um, so three causes of being stuck. We're going to jump into this, okay? First primary cause is what we're going to call the incomplete trauma cycle. And this is going to be a rough outline for what we're doing over the next couple weeks. Um, this, so we're going to spend all of next week on this one topic right here. You're going, what the heck is an incomplete trauma cycle? Sounds like a counselor talking. What in the world does that mean? Um, the easiest way to explain it is um, a story that my wife has told when she was about six years old or so, her father took her on a, an amusement park ride. I haven't seen these in years. I don't know where they've gone to. Um, but it looks like a giant barrel, probably about 15 feet in diameter, and about walk in there. You stand against the wall of this wooden, looks like a wine barrel, the door, and then they turn on the motor, and this thing starts spinning. And what happens is, through centrifugal force, you just get stuck to the side of the wall, right? And so for adults, for people, for people who are wanting an amusement park ride, they're going, this is awesome. For my wife, when she was six years old, what is she thinking? Get me out of here. I'm done. She melts down. She freaks out. In fact, they actually have to shut down the ride real fast to get her off of there because she's melting down. And so she gets off the ride. She was on the ride with her father. And she starts to respond in the way which is normal for a child when they are feeling scared, overwhelmed, um, out of control, which would be what? What would be kind of normal, everyday reactions for a child who is kind of feeling that? Okay, crying? Screaming even? Yep. Temper tantrum? Okay. Anyone else? Lay, I heard laying down. Potentially laying down. Actually, we're going to go one step further. Typically, when a child gets activated like that, when their body is in kind of the three Fs, either fight, flight, or freeze, those are the three kind of responses, your body actually starts to shake. You start to tremble. It starts to quiver. All of the muscles in your body are kind of just reacting. They're saying, I need to, I need to get activated because I'm in danger. You know, danger, Will Robbins, danger. And so for five, six, eight minutes or so, my little six-year-old wife is crying and her that sounded odd didn't it <laughs> I'm gonna edit that part <laughs> withdrawals from pain meds might be even more fun boy um, my wife when she was a child is standing there having all of these fairly normal fairly healthy um, responses to, to a scary, overwhelming situation. 
And her father does what a good, healthy father should do, which is stands there, hugs her, pats her on the back, lets her cry until what happens? You see that kind of the big... <gasps> you seen kids do that if they're crying real hard? That right there is a massive energy release. And the, it's kind of this cycle of trauma has now gone all the way through its paces. And she can now go, okay, my body's doing what it needs to do. And her dad says, I'm really sorry that was so scary. Takes her by the hand, let's go buy cotton candy, okay? And they go off and buy cotton candy. All's well that ends well. But what happens, what happens if they get off the ride and her father goes, I can't believe you did that. I can't believe you made them stop that. You, you better not cry. Stop it. Stop it right now. All of those physiological actions that her body is needing to feel, needing to experience because she was just simply overwhelmed, go where? What happens? They stop. They stuff them. So her body is now activated, but she has no appropriate outlet for that. And what happens is, is your body gets into a charged state, but because we have this big lump of brain on the, on, on the, on the front of our heads here that gives us a choice of actually what we can do, she says, I'm going to clinch down on it. I'm not going to cry because dad's mad at me, and dad's supposed to provide comfort, but he's not doing it right now. And all of that energy gets stuck. Might name a title, title of the series after that, stuck. Um, what happens the next time she starts to feel overwhelmed by something? She's learned what? It is not safe to express appropriately and she's learned her lesson. And how many times do you think it takes for her to learn that lesson? One, two, ten? Not many. Children are incredibly fast adapters and learners. And so all of that energy and, and her, she now learns a self-protective, adaptive skill just to get through whatever family system she was living in. This incomplete trauma cycle is... Um, we're going to spend a lot of time on that because that actually can create physiological reactions and, and she can still get triggered. So if she tells the story today and she had the healthy response, she can remember the fat story, but she doesn't actually re-experience the feelings. But if she had scenario two, now when she thinks about that story, not only does she remember the facts of the story, her body starts to relive it. All of those emotions, all of those, all that energy starts to get fired up again and she starts to re-experience something happened, you know, a long, long time ago in her life. That's when you kind of get stuck. And so one of the things is how to actually move through the trauma cycle if, if a story like that might be similar to yours. Okay? Because the really, really good news is, is you can actually move through that in healthier ways. There are ways, there are options, so that you can go, oh, here's the off-ramp for that, and I can actually respond differently, and I can now bring that story to a close, so that now I can act it, but I don't keep re-experiencing it over and over and over again. The other thing that starts happening is little children start to make rules start to make rules and they go, I break this rule. 
I can't get angry to protect myself because I've seen how scary and damaging anger can be. Imagine that rule, if a child made that. I hear that one actually very common in my office where someone who's had a situation happen to them and the healthy, appropriate response for them would be to get angry, but because they have experienced unhealthy anger in their life as a child, they're going, all anger is bad. Global statement over here. And so I've made this rule that I can't break. And so learning how, when it's appropriate to break that rule and when it's appropriate to maintain that rule, what healthy anger looks like, what unhealthy, all these things. The rules, you start to make rules that keep you stuck, that keep you from being able to grow. Does that make sense? Track them? By the way, this is an interactive thing, so you can, you can stop anytime and go, hold on, I'm, I, you lost me. So, um, another favorite rule I hear often, um, I have to always make sure I know what's going to happen. Because if I don't know what happened, if I got surprised as a child, if it happens something scary, I better make sure that I can be in control of every situation that I'm in. And so now you have a person who moves into kind of this control posture. This, this, yeah. We can use the phrase, the, the, the clinical term, control freak. Okay? Um, any other rules? Just any ones that come to mind real fast. I can't, can't ma'am. I can't be weak. That is a very, very common one. Any others? Boys don't cry. Boys don't cry. Yeah. Don't do not ask for help. Because you're an inconvenience. You should figure it out for yourself. I don't care. There's a thousand reasons. Yeah. Don't ask for help, though. You better figure it out on your own. I miss that. And, yeah. Not only are we not going to teach you how to do anything, but you have to get it right the first time. That's an expectation. Yeah. So, that's going to be next week. We're going to spend a lot of time on that. Um, that's going to be the week afterwards, okay? Sound good? So that's going to be week three. And then week four, we're going to be talking about the banister effect. Sound all right? Should we go back to Mr. Bacon? All right, we'll talk about week three. Um, in a little bit. Week four, the banister effect. Um, totally made up the name. Don't know if it's a thing. I might be totally ripping it off. Um, week four, another thing that can keep you stuck. You might not have a whole lot of trauma in your life. That's true. I, I'm, I'm glad to hear it. But other people might be suffering from what's called um, the banister effect. Um, anyone know who the name Roger Bannister? What is it? One, not one mile. Yeah, one mile in how long? Roger Bannister broke the four-minute mile. He was the first guy to do it. Up until that point, it was actually believed that it was a physical impossibility for the human body to run faster than, than four minutes, a mile in under four minutes. He was the very first person to do that. Since he's done that, do you know how many in the four-minute mile? Over 20,000 people 
Do you know what the world record is right now for, for the one minute mile? For those totally weird trivia buffs out there? Ooh, close, 343. 17 seconds faster than Roger Bannister did. It took one guy, one guy to say, actually, you know what? It is actually possible. There's a belief system that people have which says, I actually have no idea what this is supposed to look like because no one's ever done it or I've never been exposed to it. And so I have no idea what healthy looks like. And so, so there, it's a difficulty of even conceiving of what they want in their life. And so they have to just kind of settle or stay stuck in their, in their life as they know it. And until you get introduced to somebody who's actually been able to make the changes that you're hoping to be able to make, up until that point, you're going, it, 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 it's such an abstract thought. It's so out of concept. I have no idea how to change, how to get from where I am to where I'm going to be. And you stay stuck in kind of the life because that's the only life that you know. You don't have any other option. And so wouldn't it be nice if there was a group somewhere that you could go to and sit with other people who have similar struggles, similar stories, who want to grow, who want to improve, who might be a little further down that path that you are on, and you can go, oh, so that's what the next step looks like. I had no idea. You know where I see this often? By the way, I was talking about refuge there for those who missed it. Wouldn't it be nice if there was a group like? Um, one of the areas that I see the banister effect happen is in marriages. Oftentimes, when a couple I'm sitting with comes from families and divorce has not been kind of in their family line, they're going, we're, 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 we're having some really hard problems, but divorce isn't an option and we want to work through these things. The people who sit in my office and, they, and they've had multiple marriages from their parents and grandparents and divorce is actually a pretty common thing in their family line. They actually have a lower resiliency because they're going, we've never seen a marriage actually last. We've never seen one work through the hard stuff. We don't even know what that looks like. You're telling me it's possible? Because all of my experience is saying it's not possible. If my my mom has divorced multiple times, and so just marriages are supposed to break up. So I'm just scheduling this one for three or four years, and then I'm waiting for it to end so that I can move on to the next one. And it's, I, 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 wish, I wish it wasn't as funny as it sounds, but I've, I've talked with people with that mentality. Just marriages aren't supposed to last. So sometimes you get stuck, and we're going to talk about kind of the limiting beliefs that come with the banister effect. We're going to talk about um, um, how those get formed and how to, again, find the off-ramp so that you can go, wait a second, I actually want to get to from point A to point B and what are the steps I need to get there, okay? Um, 3.43, 17 seconds faster. That's booking. I mean, that is cooking. High school students under the four-minute mile all the time nowadays. Just crazy. It took one guy... By the way, how, does anyone know how, what his time was? How much he broke it by? Two-tenths of a second. Two-tenths of a second opened up the entire field of running for everyone afterwards. One guy. Here's the bigger question, though. This is the question I always get hung up on, and the reason that these series are, are so important. 
the stupid why question. Why do you get stuck? Okay? We know kind of the, the modalities or we know the, the, the methods that you can get stuck in. Okay? First one is what? Pop quiz. Incomplete trauma cycle. Second one is? Kevin Bacon. Third one is? Bannister effect. Very nice. Okay. Why in the world do you get stuck? Well, this is why. You always, always, always get stuck when you have an experience that's connected with a strong emotional um, experience or connection. And the more intense the experience emotionally, the more stuck you get. Emotions are what lock you down. It is the marriage, it's the marriage of an intense feeling connected with a lesson you now learn about your life. So again, back to my wife in that situation, being spun around on this thing has put her body, has put herself into an incredibly heightened emotional state. She actually thought she could die. That's the control a six-year-old has on a big ride like that, and it scares her to the point of death. And when something feels that intense, there's that strong of an emotional experience, you now go, okay, wait a second, here's how the world works, and you start to make rules all around this. Um, Oh, sorry, pointing at the wrong place. Anyone see that little guy? What is that? <laughs> Bacon. That was one of the options I had of pictures I was considering using for um, week three here, the second step. Okay, I looked at that picture. See, look at that. I just caused uh, emotional experience in you. You're welcome. I can do it again. Watch this. <laughs> Pretty amazing, isn't it? We can graduate from there to that dude. These are all options I was choosing from. Come on. Then we can go to that. Anyone tell me the context for that? Yeah, classic Twilight Zone. Or, his, or her uncle. So, classic episode. Classic episode. And instead, I opted for Mr. Bacon. Here's why. Because the second of the three ways stuck is actually what I call curses and blessings. The technical for it is the Pygmalion effect. Okay? Which is basically when another person's belief system is imposed on you. The Pygmalion effect was kind of discovered or learned um, in an educational setting, um, and it's actually been studied a lot and a lot and a lot, but the one story that, that I like the most is when um, there was a teacher at the beginning of the year was handed her roster list of her elementary school students. And she's looking at the roster list, and next to their um, names, are the numbers 98, 99, 100, 101, and they're all out of order, and, but it's all floating around that 100 spot, and she's going, wow, I don't know why in the world, but the, the, the administration of the school has decided to give me all of the gifted students. I am so lucky. This is their IQ scores. I, for whatever reason, they think they, they kind of must be trying a new thing here in the school, and so I've got all the gifted students. 
And so all year long, the teacher said, I've got the gift of students in my class. And at the end of the year, all of their scores were through the roof. All of them, through the roof. All these kids had excelled above all the other grade levels. And the teacher doing her evaluation at the end of the year was brought in. She goes, they're going, well, how, how, how come these, your kids are doing so good? I mean, what are you doing? What's your teaching method? I mean, what have you changed? Are, are you using some different curriculum or whatever? She goes, what are you talking about? You guys gave me all the gifted students. Here's, I mean, you gave me their roster. And the administrator looks at it and goes, that's not their IQ. That's their locker number. But what is scary is the teacher's attitude towards the students actually somehow imposed or bled onto the students, and they actually excelled. Imagine that. Now, if it can happen in a positive nature, the bad news is it can happen in a negative nature as well. That's why I call it curses and blessings, because there are other people who can look at you and go, really, you? You think you can do this? What, what, why are you even trying? There's no way in the world you can do that. And that sinks in. That gets stuck. And so that now becomes a reality for you. And so the Pygmalion effect takes over. And a spoken word, they don't have to touch you. They don't have to say anything else. It's just simply their opinion of you now kind of sets this limit that you make in your own mind. And so years later, again, I sit with people and I go, Here's an option for you. And they go, that's not an option for me. That works for everybody else, but for me, I'm disqualified from being able to do that. And we have to go back and we have to go, how come? Why? Where did you learn that lesson? Why are you special and disqualified from, from moving on, growing, progressing, getting better, whatever? Overcoming that, that, that imposed limitation from someone else's belief system. Now, why in the world all the pigs? Isn't that crazy? Did you notice the volume level when I asked you to review? Well, what's the first reason people get stuck? Okay. Second reason? Last time I asked you that, most of you answered that. Okay? Because Kevin Bacon, with the big piggy nose on his face, is, is excited your emotional system in some way, and so you didn't forget it, and a majority of the crowd answered. I'm actually able to prove the principle right here that, that the more emotionally connected you are to an experience, the easier it is to remember. Little, little kind of memory tip here. Um, for, there's competitions around memory games and stuff like that. Crazy stuff, like, like you have to mem memorize a series of digits and then recite it back. You have like five minutes to memorize it. And, People memorize thousands of digits in under five minutes and then recite them back because they create stories in their heads and each number is connected to something significant. The crazier the story, the, mo the more intense, the more abstract, the more unexpected an experience is, the more impactful, the more sticky it is. So, for whatever reason, I've traumatized you all, and you're going to remember Kevin connected to the Stuck series, or if you want to try to kind of get him out of your brain and we can go back to the cute little piggies in the hat, we could try that too. But that, even the cute little piggies and the, aww, that's different than, what? Huh? Kevin Bacon? Weird. We've, I, I wanted the weirder experience in you. Again, the goofier, more abstract, the stronger connection happens 
in, the, in your memory. This is also, again, the why system, strong emotional connection. That's, that's what I want you to keep remembering. That's the um, engine. People who are struggling with some sort of addiction have had in their past some sort of experience which has excited or created an incredibly intense experience and they're going, wow, I really like that experience or I want to, I want to make that happen again. And so they, they keep pursuing that higher experience or that higher emotional state. And, and when you are pursuing that higher emotional um, state, you actually can become addicted to whatever is triggering that state. So whether it is a substance of some sort or whether it's a behavior of some sort, doesn't matter. Anything can trigger or excite that, that system. So this is what actually fuels um, addictive stuff if that's something that's part of your story and you're trying to kind of wrestle through. Um, when you have emotions connected to a highly charged experience, beliefs become convictions. Again, this is why we stay stuck. This is why we just are glued. You learn this phrase, somehow, some form of it, I am convinced that what I believe is who I am. So this experience, this highly, highly charged experience has taught me that this is how life is and all of the rules and all the things that we just heard the several of you say now goes, this is who I am. And because I believe it's who I am, it must be true. And then, we talked about it last time, you actually start filtering information. Anyone remember what that's called? Hey, there's someone. One more time. Confirmation bias. It is, it is when you go, I have this belief about me. I really can't fix this. I am not good at math. Let's pick that one. I'm not a very good mathematician. So you have all these experiences, and you filter out all the ones that prove you're not very good at math because they confirm the belief you already have. And the experiences that, that are actually counter to that belief system, you actually go, well, those don't count. And you start to filter them out, and, you, and that keeps you stuck as well. Kind of frustrating, isn't it? If you wanted a much longer phrase, you absolutely could use contempt prior to investigation. Yes. I struggle with it. People are trying to convince them of things. They go, they've already made up their mind that it doesn't matter how much truth you give them. There you go. Um, in, in all of these things, we're going to be talking about kind of this concept of openness. As I work with couples a lot of times, um, even as I work with individuals, but I see it more often with couples, again, they'll come in, both arms folded, not turned, they're turning their back towards each other, and they're going, I'll listen to them, sure. Whatever she says, fine. Go ahead, it's your turn. How open are they? <laughs> We're not getting anywhere. So we work on posture and changing that and moving into a state that says, I'm actually going to be receptive to what you say. But we do that to ourselves. We do that to our world all the time. I'll admit, um, this, is, this is a piece that I have been wrestling with um, for the last five weeks because I have seen several doctors. I've been trying to get answers to what the heck's going on with my back. And the belief system that I can actually have a very strong, healthy back is much harder for me to believe than 
than it would be if I haven't had many episodes like this where I'm limited in my mobility and things like that. And part of the process over the last five weeks is me trying to counter that experience, is me trying to go, hold on a second, number one, I'm about to teach on this, so if I'm not working through it, I'm really probably not qualified to teach on this, and number two, this is tough, this is, this is hard. So, again, we're going to walk through this together, and we'll talk about this as we continue in the series, but um, confirmation bias and beliefs become convictions. And then... We get stuck in emotional and mental ruts. Your brain pathways actually go, this is an easier road to go down um, because I've been down this road so many times before and it's kind of like this situation right here where you're buried a foot and a half in the mud and trying to steer out of it is actually almost impossible because those ruts are just so, so dug in there. And so... This is what happens in our brain. There's some really fascinating studies around, around kind of neural pathways and how they get laid down and neuroplasticity and all those cool things like that. But that's what it looks like inside your head pretty much, okay? Um, some of you more than others. I'm not going to name names. Um, but yeah, trying to steer out of those ruts can be tough and it takes a lot of torque. But once you get out of it, then, well, yeah... Um, about a month and a half, probably just before my back went out, um, I, my son and I replaced all, all the shocks and struts on my car because when I bought it, I was told that the shocks were blown, and man, were they blown. They were just terrible. And for several months, I drove around, never, ever, 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 little safety tip here, okay? Never ever drive around on, on a car that has really blown shocks because you actually can't keep stability on the car. Your car wants to drive wherever it wants to because the tires don't stay on the road. That's the whole point of shocks and struts. They push your tires into the road so when you steer, it actually drives the car. And I can remember a couple times going across the Markham Bridge trying to keep up with traffic and it's like, I really hope I'm not bouncing into the sidewall or going over the railing on this thing because this thing has a mind of its own. Trying to keep, that's what it feels like sometimes when you, when you pull your car, when you pull your brain out of the mental ruts. You're just, you're, you're steering all around. You're going, I'm running into walls. I'm, I'm steering all over the place. And it's like, this is terrifying. And sometimes you'll actually turn back into the rut because, oh, there we go. Okay. I'm, at least I know where we're going. I don't like where we're going, but at least I, I know the destination. We're going to get there. And and you end up in the same place, and you end up stuck. Make sense? Everyone tracking so far? So three ways we primarily get stuck, but the, the engine that happens is the strong emotional connection, just like Kevin Bacon. So types of strong emotional experiences. So, okay, there's all these emotional experiences out there. Let's give you a general ballpark, um, which... Again, it gives you a context of where some of these get laid down. And I, in general, we're going to kind of go from weakest to the strongest emotional um, intensity or strength. The first one is 
Um, just basic family dysfunction. Every family has some level of, but that's where you start to learn, um, especially early in life, you start to learn norms and mores and all these things, and, and you start to learn rules. So again, sometimes you learn that we're a, we're a Ford family, and sometimes you learn we're a Chevy family. Sometimes you learn that we associate with these kind of people, or we're going to be these kind of workers, or just in general, you learn rules about, about what life's going to be like. Um, you can also pick up things here like um, if there's any addiction in the family and so you start to go, oh, this is what addiction looks like and again, lots of studies show that if you have addiction in your, in your family's history that there's a much stronger um, propensity to struggle with your own addiction um, uh, as you go through life because that, that model has been laid down and that line has been breached. Again, you're going, oh, that's what it looks like. I'm kind of just, that's going to steer down that rut. Um, predominant uh, conflict can lay down some of those belief systems as well in, in that. We go from family dysfunction to neglect. And neglect is um, a little bit more intense than just family dysfunction. That is homes where your basic needs aren't actually being met. They're not actually available. So things like food, things like shelter, things like safety. Um, you're not actively being abused, but you're not getting the needs met that every child needs to have met. And when that happens, again, children learn incredibly fast what they have to do to survive. They learn very quickly, these are, these are, what I, these are the rules that I need to play in my family, or these are the things that I have to do that's going to keep me fed, get, get me sustained in some way. So we move from dysfunction to neglect, and we move to um, PTSD. Um, this is, we're going to make a distinction between big T and small t, capital T and little t. This, for those who aren't familiar, post-traumatic stress disorder. This is what happens when people go through kind of um, singular um, traumatic experiences, earthquakes, war, um, assault in some way. Um, it might be a sexual assault, it might be a, a physical assault by someone. It can be a car accident, but it typically is kind of limited in scope to one predominant experience. And you have PTSD when your body starts to un, unknowingly or unwantonly put you back into that excited state again at really inconvenient times um, because you're, there's triggers that make those things happen. So PTSD can create, um, again, that's more probably the uh, incomplete trauma cycle um, that keeps, keeps you stuck in that. Um, and things keep kind of repeating over and over. And again, what's really good is so much research, so much research has been done lately around this stuff. Um, there's all sorts of amazing modalities to help people kind of get out of those experiences. And again, find the off-ramps. You don't keep going round and round, and you can actually move it back into that place which says, I can remember the experience, but I don't keep re-experiencing it. That is, that's what's the really good news. But then we move into something, um, a little differentiation here, which is, um, active long-term childhood abuse, or what's actually called CPTSD, or complex PTSD. What's different there is the environment as a, as a young child is predominantly dangerous, and there is, it's, it's not just neglect where you're not getting your needs met, you are actually being harmed through intentional actions of someone who should be taking care of you or um, looking out for your best interest. 
That is, and, and those things are happening at formative um, windows in your developmental stages. That kind of PTSD or complex PTSD actually has some hard wiring that gets into your neural pathways and can actually keep you stuck in unique ways different than, than neglect or kind of capital T PTSD, singular events. Um, and so this, this kind of lays down some of the, the, the deepest ruts, the strongest pathways that, that are required to kind of, kind of break and change. And again, what I want you to hear, if you could walk away with just one thing from tonight, what I want you to hear is, is you can get unstuck. Your, your ruts might be deeper, the pathways might be a little bit, little bit broader and a little bit, little bit deeper than, than other people's, but all of this can change. It's, it's, we, are, we are built to change. We are built to heal. It's just fantastic. It really is just amazing. Because, kind of this progression, we move into something called child state versus adult state. Everyone keeping up with me? Are we doing all right? Breathing okay? Okay. Stay with me. Child state versus adult state. Here's the primary difference. Children are powerless, literally. They have no capacity to put food on the table, to get out of scary situations, to put a roof over their head, to bring income in. A child, a child is powerless. They, they have to learn how to adapt. They have to, they have to learn how to tolerate, actually. Children learn how to tolerate. Because they're powerless, because they just physically they don't have the size and power, um, they don't have the credibility, they don't have the resources. Children go, this is a crappy situation, but I gotta make it the best I can. And so they tolerate situations that, that it's unfortunate that some children have to go through. It breaks my heart, actually. Um, and in a way, this skill right here is actually probably one of the most amazing that they've been given um, because children are remarkably creative in how they tolerate I have lots and lots of stories of best friends in really bad situations that never existed, but they helped the child get through the really scary situation. Places that children retreat to to get through scary situations. Children learn how to tolerate. And the word tolerate equals stuck. Because if you can't actually change your environment, the only option is to tolerate. Now what's different is this, adults should never tolerate. Adults are empowered to adapt. Incredibly important distinction. Incredibly important distinction. Adults should never have to tolerate something. When you move into an adult state, we are supposed to learn how to provide for ourselves. We're supposed to learn how to put a roof over our head, to put food on the table, to find safety, to find comfort, to find companionship. That is appropriate for adults to do. And 
as adults, it's also appropriate for you to go, if I'm in a situation and I'm being actively harmed or I don't like it, it's appropriate for you to go, I'm allowed to change my situation. I'm allowed to change my situation, okay? Not every adult does it. Not every person does it because they might be biologically adults, but they still operate from that childly, which is, I'm powerless. I can't actually change it. Do you hear the stuckness to that thinking? That child mentality, that child approach to a certain situation. Now, let's clarify real fast here. I have to tolerate paying taxes, but really, I don't. I choose to pay taxes. As an adult, I'm empowered to go, I choose not to pay taxes, okay? I'm gonna not do that. And if I do that, and it's recorded on this podcast right here, I'm gonna get a knock on the door at some point from some guy who's gonna go, if that's your choice, no problem, here's, the, here's gonna be the consequences of your choice. So as an adult, I actually go, you know what, I'm gonna adapt, and I don't like the consequences of me not paying taxes, so I choose to pay taxes, I adapt, okay? Because I like living at home rather than in the pokey. That's just a much better place to live. Or, you know, my wages garnished or something like that. I choose to do those things. I choose to go to work, I choose to pay my bills because I like electricity, I like water, I like toilets that flush and water that comes out of the tap. But if I don't like something, I'm allowed to change it. Recently, um, I've actually my office around. Um, I have two little offices and a waiting room in my, in my little suite. And for two years, I've, I've had the bigger office, but it has one little tiny window in there. I call it the cave. My friend actually calls it the birthing suite because it's kind of this really mellow, calm, dark, cool, calm place. He calls it the birthing suite. It's kind of weird. Um, but it's dark, and spending all day in this dark, brick-lined um, office was actually starting to affect my mood. And so I decided my other office, which is smaller but has bigger windows, I get daylight. I'm not growing mold under my armpits anymore during the day. And so I, I took a weekend, and, and my family came over, and we swapped everything out. And so now I don't use the big office, and I use the little office, and I adapted. I have learned how to change so that the experience that I'm sitting in every day is better for me. Simple adaptation. Does that distinction make sense between tolerance and, and adaptation? Any questions about that? Here's a, I got a question about that. Okay. How does that relate to your back pain? How does that relate to my back pain? <laughs> That's not something you can necessarily choose. I mean, you probably get there, but I just want to. That's what, that's what popped in my head, so. Yeah. Are there any other questions? <laughs> um, actually, that's a fantastic question. Um, the other part which is amazing about this piece of gray matter in the front of our heads here is we get to ascribe meaning to situations that we go through. And I can either go situation I'm in, I just simply have to tolerate it, and I don't like it, and I'm going to grunt my way through it, or I can go, if I, if I had to choose, I wouldn't want to be in this situation, but now that I'm here, I wonder how I can allow it to shape me, how I can allow it to change me. It hasn't been pleasant. It really hasn't been pleasant. It's been physically painful. 
I've had moments of just sobbing on my bed with my wife sitting next to me. And I don't know why. I can't tell you why. And, I, and I've wished that my back would be different. But for whatever reason, in this season right now, my back has decided that it needs extra attention. And so I have tried to very intentionally, I have good days and bad days at this, by the way, um, to go, okay, here in bed again. How can I allow this to shape my story? Because I actually believe that there are things to be learned in that experience that I would not learn if I was up running around doing all the other things with a healthy back. And there are things to be learned, and now I'm no longer tolerating. Do you know what that word is, by the way? When, when you take something crappy and you make something good out of it? What is it? Persevering. Persevering. That's, that's close, but there's actually a better descriptor of it. Resiliency. Again, close, but not quite. It's an R word, though. There you go. Again, take, take a plastic bottle. It's not worth anything. You take it to the store, and what do they give you? A nickel. Okay? You just took something that was worthless, and it's now worth something, a nickel. You can take something, a back pain, an element of your story, and go, I'm going to allow this to shape me, and because it shapes me, something positive comes out of it. And you now have redeemed that experience. It's an, it's an amazing concept. It is an amazing concept. Um, and actually, that'll be week something after four um, where we're going to actually add that into this conversation because that's one of the tools that you use to get unstuck. Because there are situations where you might not be able to change your physical experience. Car accidents, broken backs, paralyzed, your story. You just can't go back in time and change some of that. You can redeem it, and it'll keep you from getting stuck. Yeah? Right. What you're saying, I'm just trying to yeah. So you're asking, can can children adapt as well? Yeah. Right. Right. But their adaptation is limited to. Um, how would I want to? How would I want to clarify that? Um, Self-protective adaptation adaptation is is absolutely an element of of childhood, especially childhood that is uncomfortable or difficult. Um, adaptation has a limitless quality to it. Again, I, I run with my kids all the time. We drive down the road and they go, look at that really nice car over there, Dad. How come we don't have one of those? It's like, we could have one of those. We absolutely could. You, we wouldn't be eating and we wouldn't be living in a house because of the car payment on that, but we choose not to have that. So adaptation, again, is there's a much broader range of options. Tolerances, I, I, I have, this is pretty much all I can do in there. So, again, it's, the lines are always a little squishy. It's not black and white, but, but all those things. All right.
uh, stuck, the series, okay? The whole point of this is I want, I want everyone in here to learn how to use the power you already have. I want you to be able to move into an adult state and go, okay, I might be stuck, but what are the options I actually have available to me, and then how can I actually utilize that power to change my circumstances, to change my situation? Which is why let's talk about the goals for this series, okay? The goals, what I hope you guys walk away with is you're going to be able to identify nothing, apparently. You're going to be able to like, which of those three things you primarily relate to. And again, you don't, it's not just one or the other. You might be all three. You might be, you know, certain percentages of all of, of, all of them. But I want you to be able to kind of go, okay, this is the primary reason why I feel stuck in my life right now. This is the primary reason why I haven't been able to get any traction. I haven't been able to get any movement. Because identifying the, the reason the rut is laid down is, is going to be incredibly important because we approach the, the healing process. We approach how to get out of, that, get out, get out of those in, in different, different options as well. So I just want you to be informed and be able to say, yep, I'm probably, I'm probably stuck in the curses and blessings because... My, my family just, they, they never thought anyone could do anything good. And I just, I have no idea what that actually feels like to believe in myself. I feel like a failure all the time. I feel like I'm not good enough. That might be your thing. You might be, I don't even know what a good family looks like. Are you kidding me? Because there's good families out there? I can have one? Bannister effect. So I want you to be able to identify it. And then I want you to get unstuck. Okay. I want you to be able to go, you know what? After seven weeks, I've taken one step. I'm able to actually identify, here's where I have been, and here's where I am now, and it's not the same place. And you're going to be able to go, look at that. I actually haven't gotten stuck because I'm now I'm one step further ahead. And then you do another step, and then you do another step, and you spend a lifetime taking one steps until you end up going, wow, I, look where I ended up. This is amazing. So I want you to be able to get unstuck. And then I want you to be able to create a new identity. What do I mean by that? It is impossible. It is impossible for you to get unstuck and remain the same person. A lot of you have, are going, I really like to be different, but I also don't want to give up this and this and this, or I don't actually, I'm afraid of becoming a different person because the unknown is a lot scarier than the known that I'm living in. Again, I've used it over and over in all the series, but one of my favorite uh, C.S. Lewis quotes, we choose a known hell over an unknown heaven. We just like to know what's going to happen, even if we don't like where we are at. And so... You cannot, you cannot stop being an alcoholic if you go, you know what? I identify myself as an alcoholic. That's my identity, okay? Internally, I'm just an alcoholic. I want to stop drinking, but I'm an alcoholic. You actually have to become transformed. You have to become an entirely different person. Imagine that. Imagine that after seven weeks here 
or 17 weeks after sitting with other people who are further down the road than you, you can walk out of here and go, I'm able to identify that when I walked into this place, I was one way, and I've now walked out of this place, and I am different in this way, in this way, in this way. It's not a complete personality makeover, but I am, I'm willing to become a different person. There's that adaptation. And, and again, I use, it, I use the practicality of this by saying, I am really glad at 45, I am not the same guy I was at 25. I'm really glad I'm not the same person I was at 25. I wouldn't want to be that guy anymore. I want to become a different person. And so now when you go, actually, I love change. I love change. Let's see what's going to be different today. How many of you are signing up for that bus ride? A lot of you are going, you've got to be kidding me. Change is terrifying. I just, I got to know what I'm doing here. And don't, don't, don't ask me to change because it's going to freak me out, man. We want to change and it's going to be, be great. At the end of the year, you can go, here's how I've changed. Sometimes they're positive experiences. I met this person. They, they've taken me down the steps further. Sometimes it's a painful experience here or other experiences that you're going, I wish I didn't have to go through this. But for whatever reason in my life, and I'm going to let it shape me, and it's going to change me. Yes? Paul, thank you so much. You're I, welcome. I just wondered if you were in this series, this particular series, going to bring in how God can help us with that new identity, yeah. or is it mostly secular? Yeah. Um, Which is fine either way. I just kind of want to know. That's a great question. Her question is, is there going to be a spiritual component to the aspect of change? Um, absolutely. Absolutely, unapologetically. Um, that's, the, that's my worldview. If you sit with another counselor or another presenter, you'll get their worldview. Every counselor, every pastor, every person in this room comes with their own worldview and their own biases. So I, I am honored to be able to say, here's my experiences. I get to tell you stories from my life. And in my life, there are spiritual components that I will absolutely add into this. And I personally believe absolutely that because we are created by our creator, uh, he probably has the owner's manual and kind of, you know, listening to that and following that might actually help. So, and I'm also not naive enough to know that that might be a deal breaker for someone who might be in this, in this room here. That's, that's your choice. I'm, I'm welcome to have any conversation you want about that. Um, or if you're just curious, hang out and listen and see what happens. Um, there are lots of theories around why people change. Um, all right. Any other questions? We're doing good. Actually, we're doing better than good. This is better. I'm usually about 20 minutes behind by now. Okay. Um, no questions. Good. How do people try to get unstuck? There's, there's lots of methodologies that people have tried to employ to get unstuck. What are some of them? Brute force. That was a rhetorical question. Don't answer right now, or else you're going to get me out of order. Okay? We're going to start first by saying let's fix emotional problems by thinking feelings, uh, these connections, all these triggers, all these memories, all emotional reactions, and I got to talk myself out of it. 
my industry and kind of they're, they're leaning towards talk therapy, sometimes actually does more harm than good because talking about a problem can only solve it so far. It can absolutely help, and I want you to hear that very, very clearly. Absolutely helps to be able to learn how to verbalize and talk about experiences, especially highly charged emotional experiences, but oftentimes that's not far enough. And there are other options that are available to be able to, um, to deal with emotional issues. You have to fix an emotional problem with emotional tools, and you have to fix thinking errors with thinking tools. Making sense? So we try to fix it by um, thinking at them. Um, you learn the lesson. I had this intense emotional experience, and so you make the rule of what? I am not going to have any other intense emotional experience ever again because I know how that turns out for me, and I am not signing up for that ride again. That was dumb. And so you actually try to avoid any feelings. You try to avoid anything that's intense. And again, that's where kind of that control piece comes in, and you're trying to regulate all of your world around you and all the people around you and everything else like that, and it gets exhausting, exhausting. And your body can't keep up with it, and you get stomach problems or, or, or muscle problems, and it just it, it becomes incredibly difficult to maintain. So avoidance, that's another good one. And then you can do what I actually call a um, Nike yourself, okay? It's the 25th anniversary of this. Let's see what happens. Listen, if you can run a mile, run a race. You know what? Run a marathon. Outrun a movie star. If you can ride a bike, ride that thing. Ride a bull. Ride a, ride a tougher bull. Let's watch this. What kind of bull is that? If you can move your hips, if you can dance, move your legs, move your feet, move the ball. Is that PK? Score the goal. Yeah, that is PK. You like to fight? Well, pick on someone your own size. Pick on someone twice your size. Pick on him. That's not good. Oh, lesson learned. If you can play table tennis, serve like that. Beat the champ. Beat her mentor. Come on, you got this. Beat Serena. Thank you. If you can beat your friend one-on-one, -on -one, beat him. Steal it. Take it. Sorry, girls. Now, take your talents to the streets. Beat the street court legend. That's good. Beat that guy. Hold on. We've been waiting for this. That was nice. Good luck with that. Twenty-five years ago, that's where you got that saying, right? It's a twenty-five-year-old commercial. Or we can do the updated version. Do it. Just do it. Don't let your dreams be dreams. Yesterday, you said tomorrow. So just do it. Make your dreams come true. Just do it. 
Some people dream of success while you're gonna wake up and work hard at it. Nothing is impossible. You should get to the point where anyone else would quit and you're not gonna stop there. No, what are you waiting for? Do it! Just do it! Yes, you can! Just do it! If you're tired of starting over, stop giving up. <laughs> That's the key right there, by the way. That's how we're going to get unstuck, okay? It's about, it's about that and about that and... But that's actually an incredibly common approach to trying to get yourself unstuck. I'm going to berate myself, I'm going to scream at myself, I'm going to yell at myself, I'm going to do the, the just stop it approach. Just stop it. Just stop it. I'm not going to worry about how, I'm not going to worry about why, just stop it. And if you continue to do it, you're a bad person. Or you haven't done this enough, or this enough, or yell at yourself in the mirror enough. Those are traditional ways people have tried to get unstuck. And what I probably want you to hear is, is that not, that's not what we're going to do this, this series. Um, it, it, doesn't, it doesn't actually work. In fact, it's incredibly counterproductive because it attaches shame to any time you make a couple backward steps in your progress. And you start to go, see, I knew it. Confirmation bias. I knew I couldn't get over it or the banister effect. No one in my family's ever been able to kick this. It's not why me, it's never gonna happen with me. Or another traditional method is you choose not to get unstuck, which is an incredibly viable option. Some people go, I'm never gonna change, so I'm just gonna have to tolerate how I am. And so they numb out. I just don't wanna feel it. And so this is where you get to insert whatever addiction you want here. Okay? I'm just going to try to stop feeling whatever I'm feeling because um, I'm tired of it. Or the, um, the give up statement, which is, I'm just going to accept who I am and, and that's, all I, that's all I can ever be. Now that's, that's different than, than self-acceptance and, and, and moving into a place that says, I know that I'm progressing and I know that I'm imperfect and I know that I'm not going to get things right all the time, but I have a healthy self image and I have a healthy, healthy appreciation of who I am, okay? That's not what we're talking about here. That's the person who goes, there's no point in me trying to change this and the behavior or, or the thing that is whatever is you're stuck in, you just go, that's it. I'm going to have to just live with it and I'm just going to tolerate it. That's a very traditional, very traditional way people have dealt with their stuckedness if we want to make up a word. So how, how stuck the series will get you unstuck. Here's some of the things that we're going to try. Here's some of the things you are invited to try. Okay? Some of you are going to go, yeah, that was a good time. I got the rest of my Mondays free. This is great because I'm not so sure about this. Some of you are going to go, all right, we'll try one more week and let's see what happens. Okay? Here's the how. Here's what this series I'm hoping is going to do. I want to offer, I want to teach you how to get into a different state, okay? A bodily state. 
a physiological state. One of the things that I've actually had to wrestle with the most is um, when, I, when my back has been at its worst and I'm actually unable to get up out of bed, I have to physically lay horizontal for four, five, six days, just being in that prone posture makes it harder for me to actually be hopeful. And so I had to ask my wife, and again, I actually have some feelings around this, um, we actually had to buy a wheelchair for the first time. I, on Craigslist, found a nice to use wheelchair, and I said, honey, I'm in incredible pain, Let's get some good muscle relaxers in me. Let's get some good pain meds. But I need you just to get me out of the bed. And so she put me in the car. I didn't drive for a month. She took me to the mall. I sat in a wheelchair. And she pushed me around the mall for a couple laps. I had to physiologically change my state. And it helps. Helped a little bit. Didn't get me over everything. But I had to consciously get into a, I had to say, I have to get into a different state of mind. So being able to recognize, oh, the feelings I'm having, the stuckedness that I'm in right now is putting me into, into some sort of state like this. What state was, however you say his name, Shia LaBeouf or whatever, you know who I'm talking about. What state of mind was he in? We're not sure, actually, so that's a fair answer. Okay, I'm, ignore the question. I withdraw the question. Um, it doesn't look like he just got up out of bed. Let's just put it that way. He, he had to get himself into a mental state in some way. And so we're going to talk a lot about how we can change your state. We're going to actually do things. Remember that whole shaking hands with people at the beginning of this? We actually might do things in this series, in this room together, to change your state of mind, to see if you actually think or feel differently about yourself or the people around you. Won't that be weird? But we're going to work on that. Again, some of you just made your mind up and saying, I'm going to miss that week. Um, state of mind. Calvin and Hobbes, of course. He's flying around as a pterodactyl. Calvin, pay attention. Yes, Lord, speak. <laughs> and then teacher says, we're studying geography now. What state do you live in? He goes, denial. Okay? <laughs> and teacher goes, sigh. I don't suppose I can argue with that. And he goes flying off free as a bird. Um, state of mind. A little joke. Um, this is actually going to be counterintuitive for some of you, but if strong emotional experiences got you stuck in the first place, then it would seem that having a, a counter strong or intense emotional experience might actually be able to shift you into a different place. And so you might, again, take that one or two steps and you're no longer stuck. But this, again, breaks a lot of people's rules. They're going, Holy cow, that, uh, you're asking what of me? You, you want me to feel something in here? Thank you. I'm, I'm, I'm just going to find my nice comfortable seat and I'm just going to keep, keep showing up, but I don't actually want to experience an intense emotional experience. It, <laughs> see? Yeah, okay, that makes sense. Hold on one second. Um, one of the things that Refuge has, one of the rules that I always have, um, is 
All of these things are an invitation, not an expectation. You don't have to do anything you don't want to do. You don't have to put yourself into a place where you might feel uncomfortable, exposed, unsafe, blah, 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 all that stuff, okay? We grow best when we are safe but uncomfortable. That's the whole point of refuge. That's what refuge does, is it says, we're going to create a safe environment where you can choose to take one step and be uncomfortable. Yikes. And then you can take another step. So there will be invitations for some of that during this series, but no expectations. And no one's going to point at you and go, see, you're not, you're not joining in. You're, you know, you're bad on you. Question. Yeah. Um, you don't have to create the same emotional experience. You can, a new intense emotional experience that is different than, than the first one can teach you, oh, wait a second, I actually do have power. This is what power actually feels like. I like this feeling. I like the op option or opportunity to, to make some decisions. And then what you can do again is go, wow, if I, had that, if I had that power in this situation back here, how would it turn out different? And you actually, I call it writing a different ending to the story. And you go, if I could, if I could take those experiences now, but I can apply it to back here. If I could say what I actually wanted to say, or if I could do what I actually wanted to do, this is what it would feel like. And so you apply the rule that you learn in this experience here, and you apply it to this experience over here. That, that technique, uh, it's just it's stories. Stories are unbelievably powerful. I actually thought about doing a whole series on stories because they're just so unbelievably powerful. And we, we build stories in our head all day long about all sorts of, about all sorts of experiences we have. And so, and so when we challenge the stories or we go, okay, here's what happened, but now I'm, I'm going to say what I wasn't allowed to say or I'm, I'm going to break the family rule and actually talk about it because sometimes that family rule is incredibly strong, and even the concept of talking about it or letting someone else know what happened, that's, that's the most scary or, or, or dangerous thing you could ever do, just talking about it. Um, but I'm an adult now, and I get to choose what I talk about and what I don't talk about, and I'm going to, I'm going to talk about this now and go, wow, I have this power. And, and we write different endings to the story. I'm honored. I am so incredibly honored to sit with many, many individuals who for the very first time they go, you know what? The ending of this story doesn't have to be the same today. Today is the very first time when I'm going to have a different ending to this story. And they feel it. It isn't just a cognitive experience. It is, it's actually this is what could have happened. This is what will happen with my family down the road. This is what will happen the next time someone puts me in this situation. In fact, it's the same concept. My water's gone. Well, there it is. Um, it's the same concept that a um, self-defense self class. I actually encourage a lot of my female clients to take self-defense classes. I think they're fantastic. Because what they do is they actually teach you muscle memory. 
Because a lot of times when a woman gets scared or overwhelmed in a parking lot or something like that, the primary response that she has is the freeze response and ends up just not being able to respond in that situation because she's never, it goes back to the banister effect. It's like, well, I'm not allowed to say anything. I'm not allowed to use my voice. I'm not allowed to, to, to shout out loud. I'm not allowed to do those things because good girls, they're not loud. They, they don't make any noise. Better to be seen and not heard kind of thing. And so you go to a self-defense class, and they go, okay, I want you to see what it feels like for your vocal cords to vibrate as you scream, and as you talk louder, and as you say your name, and it, those kinds of things. And so now, it's like, oh, that's what it feels like. So now, you're not having to learn that skill and defend yourself at the same time. Sound good? That's all I do all day long with my clients, is go, let's, let's practice this in a safe environment so that you can go use this in another environment when you might need this. This is what it feels like to bring your knee up into the groin of somebody. This is what it feels like how to defend yourself. <laughs> um, this is what it feels like to, to take a car keys and scratch out at someone's face. This is what it feels like to all these techniques that are in self-defense classes. If you haven't had one, man, that might be a group. We could do one of those at refuge. <laughs> Everyone else is going, how come they're having all the fun over there? What's up with that? I want to be in that group. <sighs> um, so, give you opportunities to change your state. We're going to create new, intense emotional experiences. And then we're going to practice what's called the $3 million principle. We're going to create higher value targets and things to say yes to. I've run this example in here before, but I'll, I'll lay it again as a, as a pattern here. I'm actually convinced that I could actually help a majority of you in one easy step. I could do an infomercial right now. Just sign up for $19.95 and I can help you in one easy step. You want to know how? I'm going to take a check and I'm going to write your name on it and in the amount line, $3 million. Yours. I'm going to hang it on the wall right here. And if you can come to me in one year and you haven't acted out or you haven't done whatever it is that you're, that whatever you're struggling with, the $3 million is yours. How many of you think you could probably do that? I guarantee you I can. There's a lot of things that I can give up for $3 million easily. Now, why? How come we go that actually feels more doable? Because this has value. And we're going, this is more valuable than the behavior I'm doing. And so I, choose, I say yes to this and no to the thing that has me stuck. So in reality, all it is is it's a values proposition. We're going, this behavior actually brings value to my life in some way more than stopping this behavior. And so when you can start to identify that, and then we're not going to worry about trying to remove this thing, whatever your stuckedness is. We're going to go, how can we shift your focus and go, what is actually more valuable? What's your $3 million? By the way, that's not going to happen. So if you're showing up for that week, like waiting for the checks to be handed out, okay? That's not going to happen in this group. But we're going to try to find out what your $3 million thing is. What is actually more valuable? 
What can that be? Um, we're going to consider doing the exact opposite of the world's advice. I'm always, I'm always intrigued where we have these warring nations and they're kind of, one nation will start lobbing bombs or missiles at one side and then the other one goes, well, we have to, add, we have to give a proportional response and so we're going to lob so many missiles or bombs back on this side until whatever reason they have some talks and then they end up, they end up um, coming to some truce that lasts for however long it lasts until someone decides to throw the next bomb. That's how the world kind of resolves conflict. It is proportional response. I often wonder what would happen if the first country makes an, an incredibly wrong choice and, and bombs another country, kills some of their citizens, and that country says, we're going to respond not with missiles, but we're going to carpet bomb the other country with blankets and food and and comic books and whatever else. We will not respond in kind. We will respond at the exact opposite. What do you think would make the news? I bet you that'd get someone's attention. But the world out there goes, that's crazy. You're gonna open yourself up for more harm. You're gonna show yourself as weak. You're gonna show yourself as vulnerable. You're gonna show yourself as, as soft but I'm gonna make the contention, I'm gonna to suggest to you that it actually takes more power, more strength to restrain and to offer love and kindness and care for someone who has intentionally harmed you. That is not easy. And that is something that, that some of you might be going, I don't buy it yet. You're gonna to have to convince me, Paul, okay? I'll do my best. But we're gonna to try to, we're gonna to try to see what happens when we take a counterintuitive measure to get unstuck. It just actually might work. Yes? How do you know if you are actually stuck or if it's someone else's belief system that's been imposed upon you to make you think that you're stuck? Right. Question, question is, how do you know if you're actually stuck or if it's the belief system of another person in proximity to you that is keeping you stuck? Like, there's something that maybe isn't wrong with you, but someone else is making you think that, you, that there's something wrong with you. Right. And so you're stuck yeah. because of that yeah. imposed belief. Right. Reoccurring. Yeah. Um... Again, short answer is we'll probably play a little bit more with it when we, when we look at the um, Pygmalion effect, the Curses and Blessings week, which is going to be week three. Um, but as adults, we get to evaluate the truthfulness of, of information that comes into our system. And so if we're getting information that says, that doesn't sound right, that doesn't feel right, we have opportunity to go to other people in our world who go, here's what this person's saying over here, does that sound right? I, I, need, I need an outside perspective in this. And they're going, yeah, that's, that is not right at all. Now you get to go, do I choose to hang out with that person? Or what is the way, what's going to be the healthiest way for me to create some sort of appropriate boundary with that person so that I don't have to be in proximity or, or listen to that experience? Does that make sense? Now, 
I've been doing this long enough to understand that very quick, brief theoretical answer is really tough to apply when you put it into stories like families, spouses, relationships, jobs that you have to you know, keep working at to put food on the table. So the, it's not a trite answer, but the concepts are still solid. And learning how to set up those boundaries and to do all these things so that you can limit the information that's coming in. The doubt that that kind of creates, if you're going, oh, I'm even wondering, um, if that's actually what you get to experience, then you might not be as stuck, because you're already going, that doesn't sound right. That doesn't, I, I don't buy it. And so you might be further down the path than someone else who goes, oh, see, they've just said it, and it's true again. It's just, that, that must be me. So you, you might not be as stuck, so. Again, there's different levels of stuck in this. It's not a black and white thing. <coughs> Excuse me. Um, and then finally, again, I touched on this before, but I want to create a new identity. I want you to be able to go, this is how I have identified myself here, and then here's how I can identify myself here. Here's one way that I'm actually going to change. I'm going to op be open to, I'm going to have I'm going to try to reduce my confirmation bias, and I am open to the idea that I actually might be able to become a healthy person. How about that? That might be weird. And then, some of you have never done it before, but actually writing out, this is what I think I could be. Giving yourself permission to dream. That's one of the things with a lot of my clients. They're going, I'm not allowed to dream. We've got to stay based in reality here. I'm not going to waste my time. Dreamers, they don't get anything done. Tell me, give me, stay, stay in reality. But if you, can't, if you can't even conceive of it, if you can't even dream of it, then there's nothing to strive for. And so being able to, you might not be able to walk out of here and go, I'm a whole new person, but you can go, I know who I want to be, and I've identified who I want to be because I can identify who I am now, and that's what I'm going to strive for. And now I've got something to work on over the next 17 weeks with refuge or with a counselor or with a family member or with friends or wherever, but I'm going to try to change. I'm going to try to get unstuck. Um, here's the question of the night. Here's what it all comes down to. Here's the question. Are you ready to change? This is where the person sitting next to you, their opinions, their thoughts, their beliefs about you, they don't matter. <clears throat> are you wanting to, to be changed? Are you able to identify and say, here's some way that I have been stuck, and here's one way that I actually want to be different? Are you tired of how your life is now? And are you ready to change? More specifically, and this is the harder part of this, this conversation, are you ready to be uncomfortable? Because any change, any change, brings discomfort with it. Now, it doesn't have to be the scary kind of discomfort. It can actually be the, I'm excited, but I think I'm going to throw up kind of roller coaster excitement, uncomfortable. You understanding the difference there? There's the anticipation, but it's also the, I don't know what's going to happen. But I'm willing to, I'm willing to be uncomfortable. 
for those who are extra brave, I'm willing to be uncomfortable and let someone else see me be uncomfortable. <sighs> That's even harder for many people. I'll be uncomfortable by myself, locked in a room, not around anybody. But if anyone has to see me be uncomfortable, that's, I'm out. I'm not going to do that. So, some of you may be ready for that. Some of you are actually in a spot in your life where you actually are able, you have the freedom, you're at a level where you can say, I am actually ready to put some application to this stuff. It isn't just theoretical anymore. Some of you are here as window shoppers going, I want to hear the concepts. I'm, I'm going to understand the intellectual steps here, but I'm not quite in that space where I can apply it yet. Some of you are willing to try and are convinced that this is just one more thing that isn't going to work, but you've got to try something. And there's nothing else better to do on Monday nights because there's not much on TV. And some of you are going, I'm willing to give this a try, and I'm willing to upset my predictable, normal life. I'm willing, I'm willing to say my, my world, I choose for it to be a little disrupted over the next seven weeks or 17 weeks or however long it's going to be. Now, if you're in any one of those three categories, it's actually okay. Because if you're not ready to make those changes yet, if you're not in the right state yet, or if it actually would be more detrimental for you to take some of these, these steps right now because circumstances in your world aren't safe enough yet, then please do not, do not, do not take steps that are going to make your world worse. Be safe about it. Be wise about it. Seek out direction and guidance and counsel. But others of you, you're here going, I've, I've spent the last several months getting things lined up, and yeah, Paul, let's go. Let's take this jump. I can't wait. What's next? So see if you can identify where you're at in this process. Again, remaining safe, always the, always the top thing. In my opinion, wisdom is the correct application of knowledge. It's the correct knowing when to do, what to do at the right time. One of the things that drives my wife crazy about me, just drives her nuts, um, I'll go and hang out with uh, my friend Bill, and we'll have some conversation, and I'll come back, and I'll go, man, honey, I was talking with Bill today, and he was, we were talking about this thing I was trying to work through, <coughs> excuse me, and he suggested this, or he kind, of, he kind of shed some light on this, and I think I'm going to try this, and, you know, it was really wise what he said, I really appreciate what she says. And she's ready to slap me because she's, been, she's going, I've been telling you that for the last five years, you chowderhead. For whatever reason, in whatever ways, I was able to hear it from Bill, and, and I, haven't, I haven't been in that space to hear it from my wife. Okay, And I'm assuming by the chuckles that I'm not the only guy in the room who's experienced that. And that's okay. You might hear something up here that you've heard a hundred times, but because it's coming from here, some weird lines, lines up, and it goes, wow, this makes sense this time. I'm actually going to give it a shot. Great. Fantastic. There's no one right way or wrong way to do this. <sighs> Questions? Yes.
Is there a time when you should use your power to not use your power? That sounds like a trick question that you're trying to trick me on. Explain more, please. Yes. Is there a time when creating new emotional experiences is actually gets in the way or, hin or is, is hinders other times? Yeah. Um, we should never pursue emotional experiences just for emotional experiences' sake, because again, that's addiction. That's just I'm trying to I'm following the next high. I'm following the next rush. So um, we're, not, we're not just willy-nilly throwing um, intense emotional experiences around. We want to be incredibly intentional about them. We want to be um, reflective. We want to be purposeful about them. And your emotional experience is going to be different than my emotional experience than her emotional experience. So they're all custom tailor-made. Um, and, and there isn't one prescriptive kind of experience if that makes sense. I have, a, I have a long history of doing experiential learning, and what fascinates me is, is I can run an experience, and it's some, some initiative that I've run a hundred times, and I can predict what, what common themes are going to show up, but every once in a while I'll run this, and someone's going to walk away going, here's what this, here's what this initiative... I walked away with, and it's like, wow, that's, I never even connected those two dots. How about that? That, that is amazing. It just blows me away. Um, so every experience, you kind of look at through your story, through your own lenses, and go, here's how I'm going to let that shape me. So for some of you, standing up here and talking in front of a group might be the worst emotional experience that you can have most intense emotional experience you can have, you're going, I would never sign up for that. In fact, did you know that that is the number one fear that is, is predominant in, in human society? The fear of public speaking? People actually, the number two fear is death. <laughs> so, some of you raising your hand and asking a question might be the hardest thing you do in the next seven weeks. And we will never know it. Never. Isn't that amazing? Isn't that amazing that we can be sitting next to someone and it can be a life-changing experience because they raised their hand and they have been trying to get up the courage for the last five seasons of this to ask that question. And now they're going, I did it. I asked the question. I put my voice out there. And they go home and they go, I can't, wow. I did it once. Maybe I can do it again in another five years. Maybe it'll take only four years next time. And it didn't actually kill me. So there's going to be lots of, lots, of, lots of things happening over the next seven weeks that we'll, we'll never know about. What I would invite you to do is go, if you decide to, to be part of a refuge group, you can go, yeah, here's what I tried in this seven weeks thing here. Paul was crazy, and I can't believe he asked me to do it, and I didn't tell anybody, but this is what happened. And you share it with a smaller community and see what their response is. That that's just becomes transformative. Yes?
What do you do with society who makes you choose between toleration and adaptation, but you are satisfied with yourself? Did I get that, did I get that right? Oh, that's such a good question. 849. <laughs> and she asks that question now. Um, what you have just identified is going to fall down to a worldview system. Okay? I'm going to try to answer this as short as I can. There are many, 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 many worldviews out there. And one of, the, one of the predominant differences is what is the source of truth, right? So, so one person with one worldview says, this is my source of truth. It's going to be in this thing here. Another group was going to say, this is my source of truth over here, and we choose to align ourselves with this truth or this truth or this truth. And, and some of those are... are some of those say that truth is to be found in our subjective experiences. And so if I am taller, if, if my subjective experience is, is my truth, then you actually have no right to tell me what my truth is. That is a worldview. And then there are other worldviews that say I subject myself to a, a system of truth outside of myself a set of norms, mores, morals, those kinds of things, and I, try to, and I try to live my life according to these things that are external to myself. And I absolutely know for a fact in this room there are people who are probably in both camps. Right? Which is going to make this an incredibly interesting conversation over the next seven weeks. And I would hope, I would hope that this is a safe place to have those conversations. I would hope that you can go, you know what? Here's why. Here's why I believe this is my source of truth. Convince me or help me understand why your source of truth is here. Back to that openness thing again. Because when, when, when there is this kind of... Fine, I'm going to listen to you. Go ahead. Convince me. I actually suggest people stop talking. Because it's just a waste of breath. But I, ask, I absolutely believe in going, let's wrestle with these concepts. Let's ask the questions. Let's figure it out. I'm going to let you influence me, and I'm going to try to influence you. And can we still get along? That might be an interesting concept even right there. So that was a three-minute answer. I did pretty good. I'm proud of myself. How about one more, and then we can let you guys get out of here? Yep. Is it okay for two dysfunctional people to help each other? Um, <laughs> his answer right here is, who isn't? Um, that is one of the most remarkable things about our humanity, is if we all sit around waiting for the guy who isn't dysfunctional, or, or wait for the guy who has it all together, that bus stop's going to get crowded. We are all at some point in this journey. We really are. And, and even though I have the privilege, the 
sacred privilege of standing up here and offering some level of expertise or direction if you and I had to sit down and I had a chance to talk to you about, here's, here's my thing, okay? I got it too. Um, absolutely. It, absolutely. It's remarkable that, that broken people can help each other move along. It's remarkable. In fact, that's probably one of the best things about a group like this or humanity in general. I truly believe that. I truly believe that. And when you're courageous enough to be the first guy in the room who raises his hand and says, I know that I don't have it all together. I'm watching a lot of people go, yep, um, I get that. I resonate with that. That makes perfect sense to me. Now, again, we're always being careful because some dysfunctions get together and work synergetically off each of, work energetically off of each other and actually can lead you down detrimental paths. So try to find the people whose dysfunction complements yours. <laughs> I don't know how we do that, set up a pool or a lottery or a checkboard somewhere. Um, but if you can do that, that tends to work better. It really does. Um, complementary dysfunctionalism. Wow, I should... Copyright Paul Elmore, 2015. That's on the podcast right there. Um, make it up in some way. That's what this is about. This is, this is what Refuge is about. It's a really cool place to hang out and sit and to talk and to learn. Thanks for listening to this podcast. If you'd like more information, please visit paulelmore.com.